0: Along. We want to welcome those that are tuning in this morning by way of WSTO. We're glad that you're joining us live, and uh, we want to pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given to us and the gift of life. And Lord, we now turn to the Word. This is the provision that you've given to your church, your Word and your Spirit. And as we open this sacred Word together, Father, Jesus said about it that his words, his words are Spirit and their life and today we need to drink of the words of life we need to drink from this well this water of life Father and take by the spirit have it taken and breathe into our hearts the breath of life that we may leave here today Father different people than when we came in encouraged, inspired whatever it is that is needed this morning Father we just pray that by your spirit you would do that in our lives today help us to have eyes to see ears to hear and hearts to grasp and understand what the Spirit is saying to us personally and what the Spirit is saying to us as a church today. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Yeah. Amen. and amen and amen. Praise God. I want to encourage you uh, so I don't forget it, but I want to encourage you to be part of, of Wednesday nights right now, especially Pastor, God put it on my heart. A few weeks ago to have Pastor Michael do the Wednesday nights for at least through the month of April because uh, I just knew there was something in his heart, and he's teaching us how to be an overcomer, and I just encourage you, it is an excellent word that he is bringing to us, and it just encourages you if you've not been here for the first two, you can get those at the bookstore or by podcast, you can get them free by podcast, and I just want to encourage you in part of that. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24. Um, we started a series a number of weeks ago we, um, called Are You Ready? And uh, then for two weeks after Lafayette Scales was here, I did a mini-series on how to deal with divisive issues that are out in the world and can be in a church and in our lives. And then, uh, then we had, uh, I was out for a week, and then we had Resurrection Sunday. Easter One a glorious time we had last Sunday. Praise God. And uh, we're going to get back into this series because um, I need it. <laughs> and you can listen in. We all need it. Matthew was here this morning. Where is he? Okay. Is he? All right. Pray. Matthew chapter 24. We've looked at these verses before, but we're just kind of... These are our keynote verses. Verse 42. Jesus is teaching in this series here of Matthew 24 and 25. He's preparing His disciples, and He's teaching about the world and about getting ready. And he says, watch therefore, because of these warnings he's given, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, this is what you can know, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. You also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He could come before this service is over. Are you ready? Are you ready? Don't answer yet. Are you ready? And that's what Jesus is telling us here. There are many interpretations of, con- of these parables. These t- but the real message here is the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Ready or not. We used to play a game, hide and seek, when I was a kid. And you'd hide your head and you count, you know. And you'd count to 100 or 20 or whatever it was. And then give a ch- everybody a chance to hide. Your- ready or not, here I come. But see, you know, because you could hear me counting to to 20, that when I got to 18, 19, I was coming soon. Well, you can't know, this is like Jesus is saying to us, ready or not, here I come. And we don't know exactly when he's come, but there's a count, oh, this is good, this is preach. There's a countdown. And the countdown, we don't know whether exactly we're at 18, 19, or 20, but you can tell by the signs in the world we're not at 3, 4, or 5. We're getting there, we're getting very close. So we need to examine our life, are we ready? I mean, because it's going to happen. Whether you like it or not, we don't get to vote on it. We get to vote on our elected officials, but we don't get to vote on whether he's coming and when he's coming and what's going to happen when he comes. But what we can do is get ready. Make sure we're ready and make sure we're ready as a church. So that's what we've been talking about. And we talked at the beginning of this series about the most important thing you need to be ready for, which is when he comes, you're either going up or down. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. They're both very real. And the question is, which one are you going to? Because if you're not ready to go to heaven, there's only one other choice. The, devo- the default position is hell. An eternity of suffering in terms that it's so bad that the demons, when Jesus cast them out of the, of the demonic man, they pleaded with him not to be sent to hell. They know what it's like. They didn't want to go there. And so the most important thing to be ready is to make sure that we're ready, that, we're, that we are in the kingdom of God. But that's not all there is to it. And we talked about what's, what's, what's necessary for that. You know, we'll cover that again at the end very briefly. to could give you an opportunity if you're not ready in that, in that, um, in that area. And then uh, we looked at Matthew 25, and there's a story there about ten virgins Five that were wise and five that were not wise. And this is a parallel, parable, not a parallel, a parable. And Jesus is talking about these ten virgins, and it's hard for us to understand that because the way we conduct weddings now is very different. You know, we have a wedding that's over in an hour or so, and then there may be a reception that runs a few hours of that night. But in these, back in their traditions, were, these wedding events ran for several days. And there was a time of preparation for it where the bride was in her place getting ready and the broom was... The broom. <laughs> I hope it's not going to be one of those mornings. The groom. <laughs> Let's make a clean sweep of that. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. The groom <laughs> was in his place sweep getting ready. <laughs> and what would happen is the, the, there would be attendance that were getting ready to escort the groom to pick his bride up. And these would tend to be... They were like our wedding, you know, our wedding parties today... But they would be waiting for the groom, because they didn't know where he when he was going to be ready, and he would come for them so that they would lead him to the bride's house, and then he, they would take him, the bride, and escort them to his house for the ceremony or whatever. I don't know remember all the distinctions, but the important thing is that these attendants were waiting for the groom to come to say he was ready to go get his bride. And obviously, this is symbolic of Jesus' coming. Because he is the husband and the church is his bride. And there's a day when he's coming for his bride. And the question here, the whole issue here is what does it take to be ready for his coming? And of course, as we read the story in the, in the story that Jesus teaches, they, the, the ten come with lamps and those are the show the way to lead the way for the groom to the bride's house. But it says the groom delayed in coming. And, and five of these... Virgins brought their lamps, but they also brought extra oil, because again, it's like it's like uh, the, these. Um, uh, well, their aunt, their lamps had a wick in them, and they had oil that would the wick would absorb so that the, it would fuel the 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 flame, and and so this would light the way for the groom to go to the bride's house and get the bride, but it needed the oil to stay. Oh, it's to stay on a, a lit on fire. Okay, <laughs> we'll work this out. And what happens is because the groom delays in coming, that that it, the, the the attendants fall asleep. And at first they kind of get drowsy, and that kind of signifies a lethargy, a complacency that we can get into, where we know he's coming back. But we don't know exactly when, and since he didn't come back yesterday or the day before, he didn't come back 10 years ago, he didn't come back 50 years ago, he didn't come back 1,000 years ago when they were waiting, so he's probably not going to come back today, so we just kind of get... Yeah, I read my Bible this morning, I come to church. When's he going to get over? Because I got some plans, and important plans out there. And so we become Lethargic. And then the next step, because I studied this word out, the next step is we go to sleep. And when you're lethargic, you just kind of lose your, you lose your ambition. You kind of, things begin to get fuzzy to you. But when you're asleep, you don't know what's going on around you. And so that's what happened to them. They get kind of lethargic, they get kind of slumber, and then they go to sleep. They just go out cold. And when they, they get alerted, because in the middle of the sleep, there's a sound of a trumpet, and the bridegroom shows up. At this point, the, 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 the five that were foolish, their flame's starting to go out. And they reach for more oil, and they didn't bring any extra oil. The other five that Jesus called wise, their flame's starting to go out. But they have extra oil to fill the lamp so that their flame can get reignited and burn brightly. And so the five that, said, that, that didn't bring the extra oil, plead with the five that brought the extra oil, please give us some of your oil. And if you don't understand the story, it sounds like the five wise ones were, were selfish and didn't share it. You know, there's some things about the kingdom of God that don't fit in with our traditional religious thinking. That Well, every, you know, we, we need to share everything with everybody. Well, the Bible tells us to not, not throw your pearls before swine. That you just don't get, you know, that, that there's a, God will say no to some people. I don't want to go down that road because we'll talk about that on Wednesday nights. But, but I don't want to get stuck on there. Everybody say this. I need to hear this right now. I love, I love Pastor John. Thank you. Okay, I feel better now. Okay. <laughs> and so, the, 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 this, and of course, they go to get, buy more oil. And, they, and by the time they do, the doors close, the bridegrooms come Yeah, bridegrooms come, and and they knock on the door, and it's interesting what he says. They say, Lord, Lord, and he said, I never knew you. So what is the oil? That's what a lot of commentary has been written about. What is this oil? And I believe most likely it represents the Spirit of God alive inside of you, because so often the oil is used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to get into the why. There's a number of examples of that and why. But I believe it's, it's, it's even more than that. And this is what we were talking about last time. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 22. That's not too far back. Because I believe whatever this oil is, what the oil does, it is the fuel that allows the flame to burn. And the flame represents light, uh, the, the light of the lamp, so that it can be seen. It represents truth. It represents passion. But something has to fuel that. And what had happened with the five that were unwise is they had allowed whatever fueled that to run out. And as a result, they could not continue to shine, let their little light shine. Remember that song of the charismatic? They couldn't... Their light went out. The five that had the extra oil was able to rekindle that flame so it could continue to burn. Now look what Jesus says here. Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard it, we're not going to go what they heard, he silent. that the, He silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, then one of them, a lawyer, we're not going to talk about that, asked Him a question testing him saying teacher which is the great commandment of the law so he's testing him he's not trying to find out what the answer is but Jesus gives him the answer Jesus said this is this is the answer this is the answer of what's required you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind if you go back in the old testament it says with all your might also this is the first and great commandment. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, everything else you were told to do in the Old Testament hangs on these two principles, these two, these two laws. You shall love the Lord your God with all your what heart, with all your soul, your emotions and, your mind, and with all your mind. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is saying here, if you want to simplify things and reduce everything down, if you want to make sure you're on track, which is what we're talking about, it all comes down to this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now the crucial word there is all. Not some. With all your heart. Notice, this isn't hard. In 1 John, Jesus, the, the Apostle John writes and says, the commandments aren't difficult. We make them difficult. You're just supposed to love God and love each other. It's that simple. Now, that kind of love isn't, you know, Nick, I love you, brother. Good to see you this morning. Tim, love you, brother. Hope you're doing well. No, this is a sacrificial love. That whatever you need, because I love you, it's the kind of love Jesus loved us with. He was willing to lay his life down for you and me. So this is the love of God that's not just warm feelings for him on Sunday morning when the song produces goosebumps in us. This is, this is a love that we live out every day. And day. We're going to talk about this, because what Jesus is really talking about And that's the subject of this part of this series, is it's all about the heart. So I've got to believe that the parable we just looked at was about the heart. That that those five wise virgins had their heart filled up with the Spirit of God's love for God and for Jesus and their love for one another. And so when the flame starts going out, it's because we've lost touch with the love inside of us. And so that's what we're talking about. It's about the heart. It's all about the heart. Matthew 15, turn back there. We're going backwards in Matthew, but that's okay. Matthew 15, verse 7. There's some things that went before this, but I don't want to get into those. Starts out verse 7. Hypocrites! Oh, that's a great start. You think I can get tough sometimes. Yeah, we have this image of Jesus. That that, you know, that he was just he was just so soft and easygoing and He, you know, the bunnies gathered around his feet, you know, and he had a lamb over his shoulder and, you know, and the birds were flying around and tweeting around him and just everybody went, oh. No, he started out with things like, you hypocrites. You think my wife can get tough on you sometimes. Jesus called them Hypocrites whitewashed tombs, Whitewash is a we don't use it anymore, but it was, a, it was a water-based whiting that they would use to cover things up, but the first time it rained, it would wash off. You empty tomb of vipers, snakes. In other words, you're nice on the outside, but you're full of rotten things on the inside. This Jesus said to the religious people, to the people whose hearts sincerely wanted to know the truth, he was much more gracious with them. Okay. So we'll get past the word hypocrites here. Now, the word hypocrites comes from a Greek word which basically means to pretend something. It's the word from which we get plastic. Ever have somebody back into your bumper with a new car? When I was growing up, the cars we had were, the bumpers were made of steel. Steel and you could run into him with a bicycle. If you look at a bumper the wrong way today, it can crack on you, because what looks like it's solid is made of plastic. That's what hypocrite means. It looks one way on the outside, but there's no substance to it. And that's what they were like. Well, did Isaiah the prophet say about you? Saying, look at this. These people draw near to me with their mouth. They sing praises to me on Sunday. They call me Lord with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their what is far, far, far from me? Their heart is far from me. We can say one thing with our mouth and have something else in our heart. In vain do they worship me. They're singing the right songs, they're clapping their hands, they're shouting, they're jumping, they're singing praise the Lord, but their hearts on the baseball game this afternoon. Their hearts on how soon can I get out of here, because what I'm really interested in doing isn't in here, it's out there. In vain, that means it doesn't amount to anything, do they worship me, also teaching as doctrines, as the principles of God, the commandments of men. When he called the multitudes to himself, he said to them, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man. All their laws were about what you eat. Now it was not about health or about hygiene, it was spiritual principles and they talked about the food that you ate. You, had, you couldn't eat certain kinds of food, and you had to eat other kinds of food. You had to make sure you washed the dish in just a certain way, not so that it was clean for hygienic purposes, because it was ceremonial. This was all ceremonial things. So he says, "It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man. it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles the man." Verse 12. Then his disciples came to me, came to him, and said to him, don't you know that the Pharisees were offended when he heard the saying? And Jesus, oh my goodness, I didn't mean to offend the Pharisees. Oh, i got to go apologize to them. No, he was, he's just telling them the truth. Amen. Which is most likely the next series I'm going to get into. Amen. What is truth? He answered and said to them, Every plant which my heavenly Father plants... That it's not. Excuse me. Every every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Verse fourteen. Let them alone. Let the Pharisees alone. Don't bother with them. They're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, they'll both fall into a ditch. Go ahead. Then Peter answered and said to them, "Him, explain this parable." To us. Verse 16. And Jesus said to them, Are you also still without understanding? Verse 17. Don't you understand that whatever enters a mouth goes through the stomach and is eliminated? Verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth, this is the whole thing that we're getting to, come from the heart. Remember, he said, They worship me with their mouth, they worship me with their bodies, but their heart is far from me. And he says, it's not what goes into the mouth and your body eats that determines how sacred you are, but the things that come out of your mouth. Why? Because what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. It says in Proverbs, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to know what's really in your heart, listen to your mouth. Not when you're in church. That's what we've learned to do. Listen to your mouth on the job. Listen to how easily you agree with those other people that are talking bad about certain things out there. Listen how easily you agree with people that are talking about negative things and, or, or talking about God and about the ungodly things. Listen, listen how quickly you begin to agree with them because that tells you what's coming out of your heart. And what's coming out of your heart is a result of what you've been Putting in your heart which is what we'll look at next verse 19 for out of, here it goes out of the heart proceeds all evil thoughts murders, adulteries, fornications thefts, false witnessing and blasphemies verse 20 these are the things which defile a man but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man okay What's he talking about here? By, by the way, in verse 9, in, in, um, in chapter uh, 22, which we're not going to go back and look at, verse, no, excuse me, verse 9 in this section, uh, in the New American Standard, it says, for they, their reverence for me consists of traditions learned by rote. I love that. Their reverence for me consists of traditions. Tradition, tradition is something, there's nothing wrong with traditions as long as the tradition is coming out of your heart. It's when we do the same thing. Jesus talks about this when he teaches about, in Matthew 6, about the uh, uh, about, about prayer. He said, don't be like the Gentiles with vain, empty, meaningless, repetitious prayers. He's not, he's, he's not saying there's anything with, wrong with saying the prayer the same prayer over and over again. It's when it's vain and repetitious. In other words, when we're just doing it for the sake of doing it. And what here that he's saying in in the New American Standard Version is traditions are things that we learn to do over and over again. We learn to do it because we've always done it. Some of those traditions are good traditions because they help us with meanings because we know what to do. But other traditions can hold us back. Other traditions, we can have forgotten why we do it. We just do it because we, we do it. I'll give you a good example. Most of you sit in the same seat every Sunday. That's a tradition. Now, I appreciate it because it helps me to take attendance. But you ask yourself a question, why do I sit in this seat? Maybe I've just gotten used to it. Maybe there's a better place to sit. It's most likely not in the back. It's most likely towards the front. But traditions. So it's good to evaluate the traditions, everyone. Is this tradition still needed? Is this tradition still helpful? Is this tradition still helping me to come closer to God? Is this tradition still helping me to grow or is it now in the way? And what Jesus is saying here is that as Isaiah spoke, that that, that the traditions of men, that their reverence from him consists of traditions that are learned by rote. Rote is something you just do it over and over and over and over and over again. I'll give you an example of a good tradition. We establish a tradition in our house that we go to church on Sundays. And before I was even in the pastorate, there were still some Sundays I got up and I didn't want to go to church. There were Wednesday nights. I drove home all the way from Worcester. I didn't want to go to church. I'd had a hard day. But we had developed a habit of going to church. So unless there was some good reason not to, my flesh was already designed to go to church because that's what we did. It was a tradition and it was a good tradition. I won't tell you whether I still have that temptation even as a pastor, but I come. Amen. Praise God. Okay, let's move along. Let's get away from that. What happens is we become satisfied with our outward acts of worship and not with where our heart is in our inner attitudes. Jesus said, (laughs) He said, don't think that you can come and worship my Father if somebody has something against you, if you've got unresolved relationships, and yet how many times do we have we're offended at somebody, or we know somebody's offended at us, and we we say, "Well, ah, you don't know what they did to me. I, you know, they wronged me. I'm right. They're wrong." And we come and praise God and worship God, and what God's saying is, "I don't hear it," because I hear your heart. I don't hear your words. I hear your heart. So we can learn to do those things. We're talking about getting ready. Because what we're going to see down the road is when you're ready, God's not going to reveal what you did outwardly. He's going to pull back the curtain to our hearts. Now, the good news of that is your heart can cover things you've done wrong outwardly. Love, the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. There are mistakes that I've made. I didn't plan to make them, but I made them, but I made them and my heart's motive was out of love or what was best for God, and yet I made a wrong judgment and I watched God cover it and protect me from it. Why? Because He looked at my heart and the motivation of my heart. So it works the other way around also. And we'll see that in a minute. So we're satisfied so often with our outward acts of worship Well, I praise God, I worship today, I prayed, I did, but not with our heart and the inner attitudes of it. One of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and verse 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, the word pure does not mean perfect. Pure means to love the Lord your God with all your heart. That means God has first place in your heart. This is what we're talking about. We're going to look at some examples of this. Go with me to John chapter 14. See, in the Old Testament, God really couldn't get their hearts. So he, he worked to get their actions. There were some exceptions in the Old Testament where God had their hearts. Moses was one. Abraham was one. King David was one. God's testimony of Him is He's a man after my own heart. And I take that two ways. That David's heart was towards God, but David was after God's heart, not after God's benefits. So many Christians today are after God's benefits, but not after God. If you have God, you'll have His benefits. But you can have His benefits and not have God and miss it. Okay. That's why sometimes Christians make a mistake, or even ministers make a mistake. There may be sin in their lives, and yet they mistake that they're okay because the anointing's there every Sunday. The anointing's not there for me. There's not sin in my life, by the way. The anointing's not there for me. The anointing's there for us, all of us together. So you can have a man or a woman standing in the pulpit with sin in their life and for a season, it won't be forever, there'll be an anointing there because God cares about the people to take that anointing and minister that word to the people. But the ministers that do that make the mistake of thinking, well, because the anointing's flowing, everything must be okay before God. But if their heart's not okay, eventually that's going to catch up with them. Okay, everybody still with me? John chapter 14, two verses. John 14, simple things, we've heard before. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, that's an amazing statement, I will do it for you. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, go back to verse 14. This is his side of what he's going to do for us. I'm not, I don't have time to go back and look at what he said before this, but he's basically saying, because I love you, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. It's a commitment he's made to you. If you ask anything in my name, We can talk later about what in my name means. But then verse 15, he turns it around. If you love me, you'll do what I say. Can you see that? He's saying because I love you, I'll do whatever you ask me. But the other side of that is, the other side of this equation is because we're in a covenant relationship with each other, whatever I tell you, you'll do that also because you love me. And I was teaching that one Sunday, first service too, it was you guys that got it. And I saw it suddenly. And I've talked about this not too long ago. But I want to bring it down to this. It's about the heart. And I got the image of this young, engaged couple looking towards their wedding. And there's some of you out there this morning. And they were sitting at this table having a romantic dinner. And they're just having their coffee at the end. And he just takes her and looks at her hands and looks her in the eyes and says, Dear, I love you. I love you with all my heart maybe 21, 22, 23 years old. I mean, I did that. I love you with all my heart. And she looks back at him and smiles with this warm blush on her face. I love you too with all my heart. They don't mean the same thing. Same words. He means, I feel good being with you. And I want to feel good for the rest of my life. So I want to be with you because being with you makes me feel good. I want you in all kinds of ways. I love you. That's what he means. A woman, when she says, I love you, means more than I feel good being with you and I want to give, she means, it means I'm giving myself to you, to the exclusion of all others. I will belong to you. I'm making a life commitment, and that's what Jesus did. He says, I love you. And, 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 the, and the demonstration of my heart's love for you is I've given my life for you. Now all I ask back is that you love me back the same way. But what we do is what that young male fiancé says, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, I love you, Jesus. But my heart's not saying whatever you ask I belong to you. If you go into Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about a husband-wife relationship. It's interesting in there because we've been looking at some things of, of Jimmy Evans about this that we did a, a year ago in here on Wednesdays. And, and he points out, and I've taught this before too, verse 21 says, submit yourself to one another out of reverence of the Lord. So he's not preferring one above the other. But he says, husbands... How many husbands do we have in here? It's okay, you'll be all right. <laughs> love your wife. Now, why would you have to tell husbands to love their wife? Because the word love there is not the word phileo in Greek, which means to have friendly feelings towards. That's what bo- Bozo, I mean, that's what f- the man says, the young man says when he's holding her hand, says... I love you. What he's meaning is I phileo you, I erge you, which is a sexual love. I I want you. I feel good being with you. I just love being around you. But she, when she says I love, the Greek word would be I agape you. I give myself to you. I give myself away. Same words, but they mean something different. She gives her heart, her soul and her body. Now this is not true in every case, but generally, he gives his affections. So when he's with her, until the football season comes on, she has his affections. Oh, I never saw this before. Whatever gives him that sense of pleasure has his affections. So after a year or two of marriage, When it's something else more than her, that's where his heart's affections begin to go. So if it's football, there's nothing wrong with football. If that's not the priority of your heart. Anything becomes an idol. Good things become an idol when they have your heart. And what there come a point in that marriage, if they stick together, where Bo's, I mean, uh, Bob's going to get an alert, a wake-up call, and says, whoa, wait a minute. Now, it's interesting, because when Paul goes over and talks about the woman, he doesn't tell her that she's to love her husband. Do you ever notice that? He doesn't tell him to do the same thing. Why? Because she's already done that. When she said, I do, she gave her heart. Now, I know there's exceptions. She gave her heart to him once and for all, which is while she'll stick with him, while he's still hurting her, while he's got his affection somewhere else because women have this amazing confidence. I can change him. You can't. Only God can. So here you've got God, who knows everything, because He designed this, He knows us, He's saying, Guys, here's what's going to make it work. You've got to do what you committed to do 20 years ago. You've got to love her with all your heart. Women, here's what's hard for you. It's easy to love Him because you made that commitment, but you're to honor Him and respect Him. Whoa. But pastor, you don't understand. He's bozo. (laughs) He doesn't come to church. When he comes, his heart's not in here. In fact, he's the one you're talking about right now. I know. I've been doing this. (laughs) And he's not getting it. Yeah, because there's too much pain in his ribs. (laughs) Ladies, it doesn't work. It's not what God says to do. It's an act of faith to respect your husband. Because he doesn't say respect your husband because he's worthy of it. He said respect your husband because I've told you to. Because if you don't respect your husband, you're not respecting your Lord who's told you to respect your husband. Now the elbow's going the other way. That was free. Matthew chapter 6, we've got to move along. Say this with me, I love love my wife. Ah, see? If you don't have one yet, that's a statement of faith. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Very familiar verses, but I want to break these down for us a little bit to show you this is all about the heart. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves can't break, do not break in and steal. Here's what I want to get you: for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So this is how to change what your heart tr- loves; it goes after. It's what you treasure. And what you treasure is the decision of your will. What you devote your time to, what you devote your money to, what you devote your thoughts to will develop a treasure. We're going to see that in a negative sense in a minute. So if you spend all your time thinking about God and the kingdom of God If if your mind is meditating on the Word of God, not because you sit down and do it, but as you go through the day, my mind just thinks about the Word of God. Sometimes I'm singing songs that I've heard, and so my mind is going over, not every day, but it's going over and over, things about God, talking to God just as I go along. Thank you, God, you've been so good to me about this, you've been so faithful to me about this. My mind is thinking about Him that increases His value of Him in my heart, how much my heart treasures Him. One other way to find out is to look at your checkbook, look at your credit card. What do you spend your money on? I mean, obviously the things you have to spend your money on that are not discretionary. But with the discretionary part of your money, what do you spend it on? Because the thing you spend it on the most is what you treasure the most. It's not what you think you treasure. It's the evidence of what you treasure. It's in your actions. I think we better move on. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. I used to look at this and say, what's he talking about here? Suddenly he's gone from talking about your heart to talking about your eyes. Keep it up there. Go back, go to verse, go back to verse, go back to verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. Now what does a lamp do? A lamp allows you to see something in the darkness. And so what this is talking about, he's using the physical eyes as an example of something that's spiritual that has to do with your heart. See, Jesus is using something we're all familiar with so that we can understand something that we're trying to grasp in our heart. So he's saying, if the lamp of the body is the eye, in other words, what allows light into your physical body is your eye. Light goes in through your ears, it goes up through your nose, and when your mouth is open, it goes in through your mouth. But they can't detect anything. So when you walk around with your mouth open all the time, that's not helping you see what's going on around you. Your ears can't, but it's your eyes are the opening through which light gets in and your eye is the organ that God's designed so that it can take that light and interpret it and give it some meaning that there's a car in front of me, I better put my foot on the brake. If your eye therefore, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Now the key to this is understanding what the the word good means. It means healthy. So what he's saying is if your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. Light will get into your body accurately. Verse 23. But if your eye is bad, that word means diseased, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, that's what I used to struggle with. How? If there's no light getting in, How can this light be darkness, because there has to be light getting into me. this darkness. And then I got this image, cataracts. Cataracts are something that can develop as you get older, which is a cloudiness that develops in the front of your eye. Dr. Rosha could explain it better than I can. But it's a cloudiness that begins to develop in there, so there's light getting in, but it gets fuzzy. Anybody ever have cataracts in here? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you do, but you didn't raise your hand, that's okay. It's a fuzziness it gets. So there's light getting in, but you're not seeing clearly. And years ago they couldn't do it, and now they've got a surgery where with lasers they can open it up and remove that, and, and so you can say, wow, I've heard reports of people that suddenly they didn't need their glasses anymore. Wow, I can see clearly. And so he's using that as an example of our heart. Because what he's talking about in this series of scriptures is the condition of our heart, not our eyes. So he's saying, he's talking about whatever, if your heart is seeking the right things, then the light that's getting, the spiritual truth that's getting in you is accurate. But if your heart's not seeking the right things, then then truth, things getting, information's getting in you, but it's not truth, which is the subject we're going to talk about in a, in a few weeks. Remember I've talked to you a minute about how Paul says, in the latter days, which is what we're talking about now, many will be deceived. They don't get deceived because they know they're wrong. They get deceived because they think they're seeing truth, but it's not truth, and they're wandering off after something they think is true, and it's not true. This is one of the reasons pride is the most dangerous of all sins. First of all, it's spiritual. It's not physical. It can lead to physical things. And the reason pride is so dangerous is the very root of the pride, is I know what I'm seeing is right. That's right. That's right. So I don't care who comes and talks to me. I, 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 want, I don't want them to confuse me, because I know I'm seeing the truth. Right. If you come to the point where you're just so adamant you're seeing truth, and you, and you could never be wrong, you're in trouble. There's an alarm that goes off in hell, and they say, we got a live one today. That's why the devil uses pride. Oh, we got to move along. Okay. So he's using a diseased eye as an example of a heart that's diseased, not physically diseased, spiritually diseased. It's only like your spiritual, spiritual heart, not your physical heart. Verse 24, no one can, no one, no one, no one, no one. You're not an exception, I'm not an no one. I mean, you need to let the weight of that hit you. No one can serve two masters. Notice you're serving one or the other either he will hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other and now he makes it clear you cannot you cannot you cannot serve God and mammon mammon is a is a is an Aramaic word for riches but it's not just money it's the things and the systems of this world you can't serve both doesn't say you can't have money you can't serve them both. Serving is something you do with your heart. Something you give your heart to. This is why when God talks to us about money, when He talks about tithing, it's not about the money, or the tith- it's about the heart. It's about the heart. Okay, we have to, we have to move on here. Uh, so let's go to James chapter 4. Everybody okay? Good. Don't get too okay. Okay. <laughs> James 4, verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. You ask with the wrong heart. Why? That you may spend it on your pleasures. This is what I want to get to. Verse 4. (laughs) You adulterers and adulteresses that's a pretty strong language. He's not talking about physical adultery. He's talking about spiritual adultery. Do you not know? And this is what it is. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Wh- wh- whoever, therefore, wants to, what you want to is with your heart, wants to be a friend of the world, makes himself, not God, makes him makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think, the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. So here we have three interesting words, adulterers, adulteresses, and jealousy. He's accusing them or he's warning them, that you can become a spiritual adulterer, and when you do, the Spirit of God in you becomes jealous. He's using marital terms. And I meditated on that. day. and so said, what does it mean? What does that mean to, be, to, to commit spiritual adultery? And then I began to see it. Because let's go back and look at what he says here. He says, verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, I don't believe he's saying you can't ever enjoy things in this world. Adulterers and adulteresses. What is, what, is, what is physical adultery? I don't mean the mechanics of it. It's when someone in this covenant relationship that we talked about a few minutes ago, where she's made a commitment, a covenant commitment of her life of her soul, of her body to me, to be a wife to me, and I've made a covenant commitment of my life, of my soul, and of my body to be exclusively hers. And then, because I've allowed my mind to wander or whatever, I begin the desire to get my needs met, that were God designed only to be met in this relationship, adultery is when I choose to get those needs gratified, outside of the bounds of what God authorized. It's when I take it into my own hands and I'm trying to satisfy my needs, satisfy my pleasures and what's a need in me instead of from this relationship from someone else. Everybody with me so far? All right, now let's let's bring that back around to what we're talking about. Because he's saying here in verse Four, we're committing spiritual adultery. Verse five, or do you not think that the scripture says in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? So when we give our heart, and here's what he's talking about, it's when I decide that the inner needs that I have, I'm gonna get through the pleasures of this world instead of through my relationship with God. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy football. But you can't be using that to meet an inner need that's in your heart that God intended for him to meet in his relationship with you. That's the same thing if I decided, you know what? My wife's not been listening. She has been. If, my, if I just say, my wife's not listening to me, I think I'm going to go sit and talk. to a woman at work. It's not true. I'm just, This is an example. Okay? This is an example. <laughs> And there's someone, suppose in the in the the, I'll make it general. Suppose there's somebody in the next cubicle next to you, and they begin to ask you, you know, you just kind of look like you're struggling with something. Yeah, you know, my wife doesn't listen to me. You know, I watch football and I I provide for my home. I watch football, and she just gets on my case. She doesn't understand. You know, I work hard all day. I need to. I need to come home, and I need to, to to get unwind. And and she just wants to talk, 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 talk. She just wants to talk to me. But this woman's talk, 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 talking. And she's oh, that's too bad. And she starts providing a need and answering a need that God did not ordain her to meet. I had this happen once in, 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 in explain it. <laughs> oh boy. When I was practicing law, I had a wonderful secretary. She was, I mean, she was just, she could think for me. She was always a step ahead of me. And she was just gracious, wonderful. And she had a good marriage. But I came in one day and it was a period of time. And she would look at me and she said, you know, Same thing. She said, you you look tired. Is everything okay? And a wall went up. Wait a minute. She's trying to meet a need in me that should only be met. It's one thing to say you're having a nice day. That's different but she was getting behind that wall, and I don't believe she was doing it intentionally. I just think she was just trying to care about me. But most affairs come about because people start caring for one another at one level, and because it's not getting fed somewhere else, then that caring goes to another level and another level and another level. That's why professionally the greatest percentage of, 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 of adultery takes place in professions where there's caring, like nursing and pastoring and other things like that because they don't know where the boundaries are. But I know where that boundary was, and a wall went up. And I've forgotten how. I said, this is something that my wife talks to me about. This is, I appreciate all you do, and I know you care about me, but this is something that I talk about with my wife and not anybody else. And that was the end of it. But my point is, so that's that's what happened. Okay, very clear? (laughs) All right. That's what happened. We better move along. But he's talking about what we give our hearts to. Jeremiah chapter 3. It really spelled out in here. Because sometimes it's hard to see. How can... Because we think of adultery in terms of the physical thing that can be done. Jeremiah chapter 3. Come on. We need to... Just get into this. Let's pick up in... Well, let's go to verse one. Well, let's start in verse six. The Lord also said to me in the days of Josiah the king, "Have you seen that backsliding Israel is doing? Has done. She's going up on every high mountain, on every hot green tree, and there played the harlot. They were going up and worshiping idols on hills. They build idols to hills." I said. And I said, after she has done these things, return to me, but she did not return. This is God talking to Israel. And her treacherous sister Judah, because at that point Israel was divided into two nations. The northern nation was Israel, the southern nation was Judah. What happened is Israel went into idolatry first, and God had to remove them completely. Those are the ten lost tribes of Israel. Israel. The southern nation of Israel God intended for them to learn the lesson from what happened Judah, excuse me, intended for Israel the northern nation to learn a lesson from them and his whole message here is they did not. Verse 8. Then I saw for all the causes which backsliding Israel had committed adultery. She had put I had to put her away and give her a certificate of divorce, yet her her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. He's not talking about what they did physically, he's talking about what they did spiritually. They went after. God was in a covenant relationship with them, and they went and worshipped idols instead of worshipping God. So it came to pass that through her casual harlotry, I like that term, that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with trees. She worshipped stones and trees. Yet for all these things her treacherous sister Judah has not returned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense. So she came to church. She sang songs, but her heart we're still chasing after the things of the world. Then the Lord said to me, backsliding Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north, said. And then he says, return to me and I will not be angry you. I will be merciful. I didn't go on and read in James, but the next scripture in James after saying that this Holy Spirit's jealous over us. He says, but come and humble yourself. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And I will be merciful to you. Because God is gracious to those who are humble. But He's stern with those... There you go. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. This is all God was asking Israel to do. All God was asking Judah to do. I'll be merciful to you, face where you are, turn away from what you're doing, and I will come and lift you up. So part of preparing, perhaps the most important part of preparing for His return is to make sure our heart's right. And sometimes we're the worst judge of that. Because I love what Ed Cole used to say, we judge ourselves by our intentions and our brothers, by their actions. Well, I meant to do well. God knows God knows my heart. Yeah, He does know your heart. What's in it? Doesn't say God knows your intentions. God knows your heart. And if you want to know where your heart is, you need to look at where your time is spent, when you have free time, where your money's spent, when you have free money and how you treat one another. Now the good news here is the Holy Spirit is in us to help us with this. David cried out, search in me. Search out my heart. Cleanse my heart. Work in my heart. And we're going to end right now by a time of of prayer. Just a time to pray ourselves and reflect. And then I'm going to pray for us as a body. And I'm going to pray for us individually that the Spirit of God would come and shine His light in our hearts and begin to open our eyes to see where our hearts really are. Understand this, God already knows. So you don't have to be afraid of God's going to find something out. In fact, probably people that live with you already know. We're often the last ones to know. So I'm going to ask you if you if you just bow your heads right now and just quiet down And I'm going to pray for just a moment, then I'm going to let you pray, and then we're going to close our service with one more thing. Father, we've heard heard your word today. You've been speaking to us about the condition of our heart. I pray, first of all, that no one will leave here condemned or beaten up or discouraged because you correct us because you love us. You're not here this morning to judge us and condemn us. You're here to set us free. You're here to bring corrections in our heart so that you can have more of us and we can have more of you in our lives so that our lives can be satisfied and fulfilled because that can only come ultimately from you. So I pray, Father, in these few moments of quiet that we have right now that you would take things that we've heard today, maybe things we haven't heard yet, and you would just Touch our hearts and then begin to show us things that we can do to begin to make those changes. Father, I pray that your precious Holy Spirit would take the things that we've seen today, begin to show us what changes we can actually make in our lives that would make a way for these changes, and then strengthen us by your Spirit and our inner man so that these adjustments can be made in our heart. We thank you for how patient you are with us. We thank you that you're jealous for us. That means how much you love us and desire us. That you're not angry with us. You're merciful. But strengthen us so that we may turn. We may make the adjustments and changes that need to be made. For that we thank you in Jesus' name.